Um, so yeah, like I said, we're gonna chat a bit about the why before we look at the, the what. And the why, for me, for life groups, it, it all comes down to community. It all comes down to community. God himself was in community, in, in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A community in himself who existed in perfect unity. So it's, it's not surprising that from the beginning, God created us to be in community. God created us to be in community. In Genesis 2.18, it says, It is not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. It's often a passage that's used in the context of marriage, but it also speaks into our kind of fundamental need and, and design to connect with others, to have that human relational connection. When Jesus began his ministry, and I love this, when Jesus came down to earth to do what he'd been put here to do, he didn't need anyone else in order to fulfill his mission and his purpose here on earth. And yet what he did was he chose to create community, the very first life group, if you will. And Jesus, Jesus is the son of God with all the, the power and all the authority that, that comes with that. But he didn't choose to do life alone. He didn't choose to go it alone. Yes, his, his death and his resurrection, that was a solo mission. But his mission to change the world was done in community. It was done in community. What he did was he invited 12 unlikely candidates. He gathered these guys around him to be his community. And I don't know about you, but I think it's so relatable when you look at the Gospels and you read about the disciples because these guys, they were, they were far from perfect, weren't they? They were far from perfect. They didn't have it all together. They didn't know what they were doing. In often cases, they were absolutely clueless. Even after a long time being with Jesus and seeing all that he did, they still had no idea what was going on. It's very relatable very relatable. And they weren't even all from like the same walk of life, were they? You've got fishermen, you've got a tax collector, a, a zealot, a thief, this just kind of weird mishmash of people. And from the outside looking in, they were an incredibly odd bunch. You would not have put these guys together if you were designing a team. If you were designing like the, the, the main group of people who were going to go and start the church in this world, who were going to kick off uh, the, the presence of the Holy Spirit being on the earth, these guys would not have been first choice on the roster, would they? And let G yet Jesus gathered them around. He chose them. He chose to create community with them, to love them, to teach them, to pour himself into relationship with them. It's a bit like church, isn't it? You look at this room right now. Would you necessarily put all of us together in a team? Possibly not. We are not all from the same walks of life. We don't all have kind of the same interests necessarily, but we have one common purpose, don't we? At least, at least one common purpose, that we love the Lord our God. And we have a passion to serve him. We are an odd bunch. You say in self, John. But we are. We are an odd bunch. And I think it'll be the same for life groups. 
that when we gather together in these kind of smaller communities, again, you probably wouldn't necessarily put us all together in these groups. It's very eclectic. It becomes a little bit of a, a little bit messy, maybe. But I think that's what's great because when you are with people who perhaps you wouldn't ordinarily hang out with, you can kind of learn from each other. You can grow with each other. I remember when we were doing Alpha um, pre-lockdown in the church and you would get these groups of people around the room, again, who you wouldn't put together in any other circumstance, but because they all had different viewpoints and different perspectives and different questions, you were able to just learn from one another and grow and be challenged by each other because they were coming up with things that perhaps you never thought of. And so that's why this kind of mishmash of weird community is great. And community is so, so important, isn't it? But I think it could be far too easy to get hung up on our differences, to look at a group and think, but I have nothing in common with you except for God, except for church. I've got nothing in common with you. And we can get hung up on those differences. But actually, if we focus on the common ground, if we focus on the areas where we do have connection, then actually we can grow and we can develop in relationship with one another. We can get to a place where we can trust each other, where we can rely on each other, where we can support each other. Some of you may already be lucky enough to, to be in some sense of community, whether that's family or friends or colleagues or sports or clubs, whatever it might be. And, you know, I find myself incredibly lucky that I am in community. I'm in community in the sense of my family and not just my immediate family, whom I love, but also my in-laws. Who knows that in-laws can sometimes be a little bit weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I am really lucky because I get on with my in-laws. I love my in-laws. In fact, Ruth's sisters and their husbands are some of my closest friends. It's amazing. And actually, we often say you know, how, how special it is that we've got this close relationship that actually, if we weren't related by marriage, we'd still be friends. And that is so cool. And I'm just bragging on that a little bit because I'm super excited about it. But I, I, I've also got this kind of tribe of friends some of you might have heard me chat about the bears as we call ourselves this group of nine again unlikely people that you would put together and yet we've got this bond of friendship that goes kind of beyond just surface level stuff so this was taken last night uh, mark in the middle with the smiley face t-shirt was his 40th birthday so he had a turn of the century rave in his mum's back garden there was hard trance glow sticks we were dancing, well, I was dancing, Ruth was sat around chatting, but I was dancing my pants off all evening. It was amazing. But these guys, minus two who aren't, who aren't there, um, are some of my closest friends. And we kind of chat mostly on WhatsApp because we're spread around the country. Um, and 90% of our conversation is banter. We are just ripping each other, sharing gifts and memes. It's ridiculous. But then sometimes someone will just call, let's have some real talk. And you know that in that moment, we're going to get serious and the joking just needs to park for a moment and actually someone's got something to share. And we know that because we've got that deep bond of friendship, of relationship, that if someone's got a problem, we can pray for them. If someone's going through something, we can support them. 
If someone's got something to celebrate, we can celebrate with them because we've developed over time this bond, this strength of friendship, of relationship. It's so, so valuable. Being alone was never the plan. Being alone was never God's plan. We were made to be in community as followers of Jesus. So what does that look like in the context of life groups? It looks like having meaningful relationships. It looks like doing life together by sharing with each other, by encouraging, by serving, by forgiving, by chasing after God faithfully. It's a place where you can be your true self. And I don't expect that week one you can start just divulging your heart. But I think over time, a life group should get to a place where you can be your true self, where it can be a safe place to share your greatest fears and struggles, but also to celebrate with one another in your greatest joys and accomplishments. I've written this down. Community is where we show up in each other's lives for the magnificent and the mundane. Community, it's about being known. It's about knowing and it's about being known. It's about pursuing God and and actually growing into the best version of yourself. I believe that not one of us is living to our potential, that actually we've got more that we can grow into. And I believe that these kind of relationships that can come out of life groups can help us grow into the best version of ourselves. It's about fighting the good fight and helping those around us fight that fight as well. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love that verse. It's an encouragement, isn't it? Not to forego, not to forget, not to neglect getting together, meeting together. But it's not only an encouragement to to meet together, but it also shows us the why. Why should we meet together? It says to stir one another to love and good works. To love and good works. That is what is expected of us as followers of Christ that we should love unconditionally and that we should show that through our actions, through our works. We're meant to live a life of significance and I believe that as we meet together in these kind of smaller communities, it can encourage us and help us on that journey of the purpose for which we are on this earth. If you want to live a life of significance, it will involve other people. Like Jesus, like Jesus, we've all got our own role to play. We've all got our own purpose. You know, whether you're a hand or a foot or an eye or whatever part of this body of Christ you are, we've all got our own kind of personal mission, purpose, or role. But we've also got a, a corporate role, a collective role, something we were all here to do. And that requires drawing around other people. It requires being in community, being in that sense of oneness, of unity, of togetherness. And it requires an act of humility within us 
to recognize that actually we do need other people. Who knows that sometimes it's easier to just go on your own, to get something done yourself, to say, do you know what? It would be probably just easier if I just crack on and do this thing rather than getting other people around me to help me. I don't want to have to explain what's going on. I'll just do it. But actually, we can be more effective and more efficient if we gather people around us, if we have this kind of humility to recognize that together we can do more, we can do better. The Bible is clear on so many things, and and one of them is that we are to love others. It's very clear on that, and it forms part of our vision statement. It's written on the board at the back. We are to first and foremost love God, but secondly, the second greatest commandment, to love others. We are called as followers of Christ to love others. And in the New Testament, there are around 60 different instructions as to how we should do that, how we should treat one another. I'm not going to list all of them, but let me just give you a few. In Galatians 5.13, serve one another. In Philippians 2 verse 3, honor one another. In Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another. In James 5.16, pray for one another. In 1 Corinthians 12.25, care for one another. In Ephesians 4.32, forgive one another. And the list goes on and on and on. But the truth is, we can't one another one another if we're not spending time with one another. Shall I say that again? We can't one another one another if we're not spending time with one another. We've got to get together. We've got to be in community. And not only that, but I believe that we'll find that if we isolate ourselves, if we pull away from that opportunity, we'll find there's a gap, there's something missing, there's almost a void that only godly relationships can fill. It's so important. It's part of our DNA, of our design, of the blueprint of humanity. When we choose to pull away, to isolate ourselves, this one-anothering becomes impossible. It becomes impossible, and actually, we miss out on the blessing that comes from one-anothering one another. We miss out on the blessing of being in those communities and friendships and relationships. Let's look for a minute at the early church in, uh, in Acts chapter 2. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who are being saved. We see this amazing example of the early church, one anothering well. And there's something really powerful, isn't there, about being, sharing, loving, caring for one another. It's who we were created to be. It's how we were designed. 
And one of the, the one and others that I love is found in Hebrews 3.13. I mentioned it in one form, but it says in the scripture, exhort one another, exhort one another every day. And that word exhort is not one that we hear very often, certainly not something that I use in my day-to-day vocab, but we can often kind of think of it in the, in the terms of to encourage, which is partially true, and that's what I used in the list that I gave. But actually, it goes way beyond that. This word exhort, it also includes to advise, to warn, to challenge, to teach, to console. There is so much in this one word, exhort. I love it. And actually, it's quite a high call, isn't it? It's quite a challenging call that we are to exhort one another daily, to do all of these things to one another daily. It's pretty challenging, I think, when you think of it. But in order to exhort one another, we have to be in relationship with one another. You have to have that relationship I don't know about you, but I think that some people uh, can be quite happy going up to someone they barely know and giving them a friendly word of advice. Have you ever been given a friendly word of advice? Whether whether you ask for it or not. (laughs) Have you ever been given a friendly word of advice? I had a teacher in school and he would say, he would say something and it would cut deep and then he would go, it's not a criticism, just an observation. (laughs) It's like, right, okay, I'll change that, I'll change that. I don't know about you, but I think if someone gives me uh, uh, some advice, this friendly word of advice, I, I really need to know them first. I need to have a relationship with them. I think out of that relationship gives the permission for them to speak into my life. I remember one time, actually, after church on a Sunday, someone came up to me to give me a friendly piece of advice. And the truth is that, well, I don't actually remember the content of what they said, but what I do remember is that I didn't know them well enough for them to be speaking into my life that way. And I told them that in the nicest way possible. I said, thank you for you know, your advice, but actually, I think we need to get to know one another first before you can, you can speak into my life in that way. Ruth can talk into my life that way. Some of my closest friends can speak into my life that way. But I think if you don't know someone, to go up to them and to to specifically, you know, to challenge them or to criticize or, you know, not a criticism, an observation, then actually you you need to know them first. Because then when it comes out of that relationship, they know that actually you're doing it to build them up and not to tear them down. Because if it comes out of a place of, well, a stranger is talking to me, then actually you don't know what the attitude behind that word is. And there may be an assumption that actually they're just trying to pull you down or to judge you or to criticize you, and that can hurt. So actually, we need to be careful in exhorting one another and making sure that actually first we've got that relationship, that friendship I know you're all thinking that surely there was nothing I said that could warrant a friendly piece of advice. And I I assure you there wasn't. I am perfect in every way. Oh, okay. Don't talk to Ruth after she said. I've got got lost. Where was I? (laughs) But I love all the meaning that sits behind this call, this challenge to exhort one another daily. And I want to encourage that attitude, that heart in our church. 
but out of the right place, out of a place of relationship and friendship and community first, because I do believe that it will lead us to having a deeper relationship with one another and with Jesus. But it needs to come out of that relationship, that community. And another opportunity that comes from, from life groups is, is part of our set of values that you can read in our brand new welcome leaflet that it talks about pursuing the heart of God. Pursuing the heart of God. That is what we are to do. It's the first commandment, to love God. And how do we love him if we don't know him? So we need to pursue the heart of God. And I believe that as we gather together in communities, that we can share experiences of faith, that we can study the word of God and we can pursue the heart of God together and we can spur one another on into a greater and deeper relationship with God. I don't know about you, but for me, some days there are days when I just can't face opening the Bible. Can I say that? Is that acceptable? I'm going to get fired today, aren't I? (laughs) There's some days when I'm just weary and I'm tired and I just don't have the energy to get into the word of God. But I believe that when we're in community, when we've got people around us, because I don't think I'm alone in this. I think there's a few of us in this room who have days like that. And I think when we're in those settings, if we're having a day like that, other people around us, well, they could be riding an absolute Jesus high and they have got enough passion for everyone in the room. And so they can spur us on into getting back into the word, into remembering why it's so important and why it's so good to be in the word. And then other times, maybe it's us that's riding that high and we can encourage other people and say, don't forget about this. This is how amazing it is. This is how life-giving it is. Don't neglect getting into the word. And we can kind of shift in those roles, but there is nothing more important than pursuing the word of God. So (laughs) read your Bible every day. Reuben talked about it last week, didn't he? It's so simple as, a, as a, a practice for followers of Jesus that we should be reading the Bible every day, pursuing God's heart in that way. But you know, in those times when our strength is lacking and our passion and our enthusiasm is lacking, you know, maybe it's because you're going through a hard time or you've just been knocked one too many times that you're just feeling a bit, oh, I just, I just can't right now. Well, I believe that out of those communities, we can lean on one another. That other people can come around us and hold up our arms, can lift up our faith, build us, lift us, encourage us on our journey towards Jesus. And finally, I believe there's another importance on, on life groups when done right. And that is that they will inevitably lead to growth. I saw this acrostic the other day. It says, generous living, regular fellowship, oneness in worship, wise teaching, tenacious prayer, Holy Spirit power. That is growth. It's so good, isn't it? 
And I'm not talking just growth in numbers, although I do believe that there is a formula and a strategy to life groups growing the numbers of the church. But more importantly, it will grow our spiritual nature and character as we lean into and press into the presence of God with other people. So let's come together. Let's show up for one another. Let's push through any barriers that might be holding us back from connecting and let's create an opportunity to one another, one another as best we can so we can live that life of significance that we are called to live so that we can live in community the way God designed and created us to be. Amen. Is that good? Okay. Let me pray and then we will chat about what we're going to do next. Father God, we thank you that you designed us with perfection, that you placed within us uh, the DNA, the blueprint of being in community as you were in community. We thank you for the example that you set through the person of Jesus Christ coming to earth with all the power and authority to do it alone, to go it alone, but you chose to draw this unlikely crowd of people around you. And so we thank you for that example and we say right now that that we want to take that on board and we want to draw around us a community, even a mishmash of people so that we can do life together, so that we can do life better. We thank you for the, the opportunity to be able to do this, to gather together, to connect in, to join in and and be with one another, support one another, celebrate with one another. So we just thank you for the privilege and the opportunity. I thank you for our diversity, that there is no one person in this room, in this church, who is the same, that we all have something different to offer, that you have equipped us with different skills and abilities and mindsets and brain patterns that that help us to, to strengthen and to grow and challenge one another as we do life together. And so I pray right now that, that you will encourage us and show us how to connect in so that we can live this life of significance that you have called us to. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.